Thanksgiving, the last of the great American holidays. This is the one holiday where there should be no agendas, right? I, I love Thanksgiving, and, and I don't care if all the major retailers in this country are opening on Thursday. I refuse to shop. I will not shop. They can't take this day away. Thanksgiving is a time to sit and reflect on another year that has passed, to celebrate a literal and figurative harvest season after a long time of planting, to time to rest with friends and family, to sit and drink, be thankful. As the psalmist says, when our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, for the Lord has done great things for us. It seems like the perfect psalm for Thanksgiving, doesn't it, this one, Psalm 126? And, and here's the thing, I, I think it is a perfect psalm for Thanksgiving, but maybe not in the way it seems when we first read it. All right? So I want to read it together again. And what I want to do is, and let's listen closely to it. So this side of the room, let's read verses 1 through 3 together, all right? and then you guys read verses 4 through 6. Okay? So... so one through three here, and then four through six there. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams of the those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Oh, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying seeds of love. Jen Bronson, would you read one through three? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And Jenny, would you read 4 through 6, please? Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Nijin. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So, did, did you hear it? The joy in this psalm is one of memory. It's one of memory. There is no present feasting going on for the people in this psalm. One through three, there's the memory. That's the memory of times past when, when the people had been freed and returned home. When joy was the order of the day, harvest was full and thanksgiving was everywhere. But then the psalmist continues. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the desert. This is the present reality. They're captive again. They're begging for relief, the kind that streams bring to a desert. They're sowing in tears now during a time when they should be harvesting. They're suffering emptiness during a season of discontent. And that's why I think this is a perfect psalm for Thanksgiving. Because it's more like our own lives, isn't it? Seasons of plenty, seasons of want. Seasons of plenty, seasons of want. See, no doubt, some of us here will be living the harvest season this year. 
celebrating a Thanksgiving holiday full of joy, full of turkey, full of friends, full of family. It'll be a healthy, happy, bountiful celebration. And, and that's a good thing. And that's a reason to be thankful. It is. If that is you, be thankful. Be joyous. Sing songs of praise to God who has filled your storehouses again. Be mindful of God as the giver of all and don't hold back your grateful hearts. Be like the people in the psalmist's memory. Let your mouths be filled with laughter and your tongue with joyful shouting. Be that this year. But some of us others, though, we're not going to be so joyous. It may be a more subdued time of rest and relaxation, a quieter time of giving thanks, tempered perhaps by worries over bills that keep mounting up, concern for failing health, or the subtle frustration of family dysfunction that never really boils into all-out war, but it simmers just beneath that family gap, across those conversations at the table. It's there, just below the surface. There will still be celebration for those of us in this place, but not so much deep laughter, not so many shouts of joy. The cupboard in the kitchen and in our soul is not necessarily empty, but there are definitely bare places. And so a present mindfulness of God's provision will be a little harder to muster this year. Gratefulness for the harvest will be a little robust, a little less robust. And then some of us here will be more fully like the people in the Psalms. Captives. Far from home. Plenty of tears, a decided lack of joy, and no laughter that is real. We might still gather around a table on Thursday with family and friends, but now there are empty chairs where loved ones no longer sit. Maybe they've been taken by disease. Maybe by violence. Maybe just by the messiness of life that breaks up families. Maybe by our own unforgiving hearts. And for those of us in this place, there will be no harvesting. There will be no songs of joy for an abundant life. Disappointments, lost jobs, broken families, Illness, massive changes, anxiety, fear, sorrow, all overshadow any sense of celebration. The turkey and stuffing are just another meal for sustenance. And the pumpkin pie is tasteless if we even have pie. Faith is now something we vaguely remember having once upon a time. Doubt is the constant. And hope is a luxury we have long ago lost. And I know in this very small community, those of us who are gathered this morning and the many that are not gathered here with us this morning, we are all in each of these places. I know those of us in this community who are in seasons of wonderful harvest. I know there are those in this community who are walking a fine line between the two. There's not full abundance, not total emptiness, not fully home, not totally captivated. And then I know there is also those fully empty, completely captive right now. 
been quite a year for our community, hasn't it? It amazes me that such a small community has such a high percentage of profound sorrow and also of profound joy this past year. And this is why we need Psalm 126. To know we're not alone. We're not unique. From the beginning of time, God's people have known the cycle of the seasons of life. And in writing about this reality, the psalmist gives us some poignant wisdom from which to gather help in our own time of want or of plenty. When life is good, when we are fully home, be thankful. Be thankful. Shout for joy. Laugh deeply. Let our thanksgiving be contagious. Let our abundance of spirit, of possessions, be shared far and wide. For God knows this world needs those things. People in our own community need those things. Let us praise the giver and honor him by being givers like him. When life is not so good or downright horrible, the first thing to notice is it's okay to be honest about it. Turn, restore our fortunes. This is the NIV. One of my, my, uh, um, a translation I love better says, Turn again our captivity, O Lord. Begging, pleading, crying for mercy is honesty about our need, about our suffering, and about our struggles. You know, too often over the different ages of Christianity, it has been suggested that if we are real Christians, we have no problems. Because they've all been taken care of. You know those times or traditions in Christianity where our testimonies had to be all about freedom and never the struggle for it. Had to be all about sweetness of victory and never the bitterness of defeat. All about the promised land and never about the wilderness. Our faith had to be more like that of Bobby McFerrin's. Oh, don't worry, be happy. Then it had to be like the saints that populate the pages of our very scriptures. And into that tradition, comes the voice of the ancient psalmist crying out, saying, No, no, no more. Crying for mercy, exposing our fears, our doubt, our hopelessness, is all well within the authentic Christian witness. Read the Bible. And here at Cana, we're trying to encourage that kind of honesty. We believe all are welcome at God's table and are loved by God always, in doubt and in faith, in sorrow and in joy, in want and in fullness, 
in captivity and in freedom. Like that opening quote that I used this morning, and, and I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know, I know where I started, I just sort of written it down. God is at all times and unchangeably for the good of all. He is as much for our good when we are defeated as when we prevail. He is for the general good of all and for the particular good of each. I love that. It's an old, old preacher. I was reading an old, old thing. I should have written his name down, and I couldn't go back and find it in my sources. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry, Mr. Unknown. It's a great quote. He is as much for our good when we are defeated as when we prevail. And there's more to the wisdom of this son. In times of captivity, times of want, times of despair and hopelessness, what did the people do to rekindle their hope? They remembered. They remembered. They remembered joy, home, times of plenty. Memory is the most powerful grace that God gives us. A most powerful grace. You see, memory allows us during the darkest times to remember light and be sustained by the hope that it will come again. This, this is the table of great memory. That's what this is. That even in the darkest of times, death, life wins. Think about it. We come here and remember and celebrate Christ's death, his body and his blood, but we only do it because he rose again, right? Memory. That's the great memory. But our other memories of joy are, are powerful too. I have one. Many of you know our son was diagnosed with a heart defect when he was born, and, and uh, well, actually not when he was born, when he was 18 months, and he didn't have surgery until five, and those were the longest three and a half years of Jennifer and I's life, and the longest part of that three and a half years was the hours of the surgery, and I still remember like it was yesterday, and, and hopefully until I start to lose my, my mind, I'll remember it. The, the surgeon came into the surgical waiting area after what seemed like an eternity, and and it was only six steps, but it took forever to get to him, and he must have seen our faces, because right away he said, it's okay. It went great. The surgery was, was excellent, and after your son recovers the next few days, he's going to be like any other normal boy. Joy. Joy, pure and utter. I remember that joy. Who else has memories of joy? Let, let's share joy. Just try to keep him short, just like that short, and we'll hear some others. Who has a memory of joy? Won't be shy. Desmond. Um, about two months ago, my sister found out she was in remission from cancer. Joy, right? Pure joy. Joy. What else? <coughs> what else is memories? Dale. I remember uh, they let me cut the cord after Rachel was born, oh. which for some reason was this amazing moment. You know, like, she's ours, she's good. You know, just it seems like such a simple thing, but I don't know. Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, childbirth stands out. I mean, with Emily and Jake, uh, Jake especially because well, we, we had some concerns early on the preg in the pregnancy with him. We had miscarried before that, so uh, particularly joy when he was born healthy. Most of the memories of joy. When Raquel's 
into the hospital and doctors came and said she's fine, everything's good. So oh. she bounced well. <laughs> Joy. This time a number of years ago, my mom was dying. In fact, she died uh, the day after Thanksgiving. But there was joy in watching how she, with grace, transitioned to dying and being with him. Also, the memory of joy. Henry was diagnosed with lead poisoning. Mm -hmm. thinking about when we got engaged, and he said, I'm so glad you said yes. I said, I didn't say yes. I said, I get to wear it. That's <laughs> 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 a great memory. That's a great memory. Who else? A couple more. Just even now, um, my 84-year-old aunt was diagnosed with colon cancer, and she's gone through surgery, and you know, when we go to chemo with her, she's just doing incredibly well. And in, in spite of that, she has joy. Mm. You know, just God's faithfulness to her. One more. When I truly felt forgiven for my sins, like, I had a deep cry. You know, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's common. A lot of people feel that way. But it's just really, I think it's a classic joy, like, feeling forgiven for your sins. Memories of joy, they're good, aren't they? Sharing them with each other is good. It helps. The people in this psalm understood that. They understood the, the cycles of life, that even when it is most desperate, there is reason to hope. Even if just a little. Just a little. There's a poet, Nikki Giovanni. She captures this hope, I think, so wonderfully in her poem, Migrations. Migrations. Dave's going to read it for us this morning. Migrations. When the sun returns to the Arctic Circle from its winter rest, the grasses sprout, seducing the winged and the hoofed. Polar bears and their cubs must flee before the ice breaks up, although others begin the, the northern journey. A snow goose flies from the Gulf of Mexico to mate and birth her young. Two million Mongolian gazelles move over the tundra, where each gives birth at the same time, defying the will of predators who would consume the gazelle's future. Though only, of course, to provide nourishment for their own young predators. Let's not judge too harshly. Salmon swim upstream, jumping falls and grizzly bears. Grasshoppers, ignoring the advice of ants, make music to celebrate winter's end. Monarch butterflies, leaving the safety of Ziwatanehem, forge north, beginning the longest winged journey of spring. If only the hope of warmth and the promise of grasses 
the unflinchingly face hunger, thirst, predators, winds, rain, and uncertainties, as I would for you. The great migration, the great annual migration that this world goes through, all because of a hope based on a distant memory that it will be warmer there, it will be better there, it will be home there. And that's the wisdom the second part of our psalm shares with us. Sowing in tears, going to and fro weeping, but spreading our seed just the same. Planting in the wrong season because we have hope it will still lead to a harvest. We saw our seeds grow once and they, they gave us much fruit. And so with that distant memory we plant again, even if the ground is frozen, even if the winter sun is cold. But we plant and even if our seeds don't grow right away, even, even if our seeds don't grow at all, we know other seeds will grow. And we hope that someday again we share in a bountiful harvest. So we sow in sorrow, we sow in doubt, we sow in want. Trusting, even if ever so weakly, that joy comes. Faith returns, and our lives will be full of it. And I think there are two parts to the sowing in tears. The first is that of thanksgiving. I think this is why St. Paul said, give thanks in all things. He didn't say for all things. He said in all things. That's the sowing in tears. See, we might not be able to say thank you for anything because we no longer have the eyes of faith to see anything to be thankful for. But we at least say thank you. We at least say thank you. And little by little, in that sowing in tears, our eyes are opened to the reality that, well, we had things to be thankful for once. We will again. And then our eyes get open even wider as we give thanks to the reality that even in our darkest winters, there is something to be thankful for. Even if it's just for the breath to, to be thankful. And then if we can continue to go to and fro weeping but sowing seeds anyway, I think we eventually see God understand his love is worth all of our things. And the second part of this sowing in tears is the loving in others that we're always talking about here at Cana. <coughs> and then I forgot to ask you if I can share. But I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to share. Annette and I talk about this a lot. When life gets really hard and really difficult, the natural tendency is to withdraw, to be 
away from people and away from God and away from things to be alone. And that's the natural response to our seasons of discontent is to turn inwards. But the more I read scripture, I'm convinced of this. And I witness this in the lives of the saints whose biographies I read and study. That natural response, I believe, is a hangover from the fall. When Adam and Eve hit, they were looking to redeem themselves and they can't. Only God can redeem us. I think that's why God made them clothes. Their, their clothes, their hiding didn't work. God heals. But here's the thing. God is love, and love is action. Jesus and the writers of the scripture always pushed us to love others. For they knew not only does the other benefit, and here's the key, and I, I think this is where we get stuck. It's like with forgiveness. We know we have to forgive others. We get stuck in it because we feel like we're giving them something. No, forgiveness frees us. Loving others certainly gives the other something, but I think the point of loving others is that's where God is, and that's where we find our redemption. We find our freedom. We find our home. Right there in the act of loving. It's not easy. Trust me, it's not easy. And you guys know that anyway. Because we first have to fight our own intuitions. We have to fight our own nature. Then we have to move in that direction. Then we have to make sacrifices and give even out of our own wants. Loving others is our great migration. Through hunger, thirst, predators, winds, rains, uncertainty. It is our sowing in tears, going to and fro weeping. But as the animals find at the end of their journey, as the Psalmist promises us we will find. I am convinced in loving others. There is a full harvest and shouts of joy. There is thanksgiving. So I've set the room up again this week. Let me explain it. So I have this table here and it has a bowl with seeds in it and little cups with dirt. The band's going to play for us soon. And they're going to play this song. Here's what the opening line is. I lose the ability to be afraid when I see the way you love me. Oh, I love that. I lose the ability to be afraid when I see the way you love me. Okay, so that, that's going to be our background, okay? Sorry. And what we're going to do while that song's playing, and please, all of us, I, I want to encourage us all to participate, we're going to come up 
and we're going to plant a seed in winter. Okay? Just take a seed and put it in your dirt and bring it home and water it. And they might not grow. They might. They might not. I have newspaper down. And the reason I have the newspaper down is because in these newspapers are all the reports of this world in which seems stuck in a winter of discontent. Reports of disease that are killing thousands, wars that are killing tens of thousands, man's collective inhumanity to man, hatred, financial collapse. Yes, it's all there. We live in this world. But we're going to sow through it anyway. I know I'm emotional this morning, but my daughter lost a friend last night. Oh. I'm really happy for John. He suffered so much pancreatic cancer. What a nightmare. He's not suffering this morning, but to watch your little girl lose someone, he was like a little second dad to her. But that's what Psalm 126 is about. So we're going to come and plant seeds regardless that it's winter in this world, and we're going to come to the communion table and thank God regardless. We're going to walk through it. We're going to go on a great migration together. And here's why. These are the words of Rachel Stokes, who I have, I have without pride borrowed this idea from. She says, we are all part of this annual festival of thanks in which we flood our God with pent-up gratitude, in which the sunlight of God's love is invited to shine a bit more strongly through the cracks in our darkened places. And even if it is a winter of our discontent, ours is a journey toward warmth. It's a journey past hunger, thirst, predators, winds, rain, and uncertainties and into the arms of a loving God who has been migrating toward us the whole time. It's a journey that makes it worth planting a seed of faith and hope, even in winter, and believing that one day again, our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Let's, let's plant seeds together this morning. Thanks.